All right. Welcome to Political as Heck, a podcast where we discuss Utah politics and policy. I'm Corey Astle, joined as usual by Utah State Senator Todd Weiler. Hey, oh. But once again, we have some great guests from the state legislature to, to discuss with us all the happenings during the first week of the legislative session. We want to welcome Representative Carrie Ann Lizenby. Welcome, Carrie Ann. Hello. Talking. Thank you. And uh, Representative Suzanne Harrison. Welcome, Suzanne. Thanks for having us on the show. Fantastic. Uh, thank you both for joining us today. Before we get started, can you tell us just a little bit about yourselves? Which district do you represent? How'd you get your start in Utah politics? What's your day job? Suzanne, maybe we'll start with you. So my name is Suzanne Harrison, and I represent House District 32, which uh, has part of Draper and part of Sandy in it in Salt Lake County. And in, I was elected in 2018. In my day job, I'm a mom of three teenagers. We got three high schoolers this year. And I'm also and? A, med- and a medical doctor. I'm a practicing physician and anesthesiologist and in local hospitals here in Salt Lake County. Excellent. Carrie Ann, tell us a little about yourself. I, uh, I represent District 14, which is Syracuse, most of Clearfield, and a little bit of Layton. And uh, I'm a mom of six children and four grandchildren and one on the way. That's great. And I noticed you said Layton, where isn't, isn't the Utah accent to say Layton? I'm Layton. not from Utah. <laughs> where are you from, Carrie Ann? I didn't know that. Where did you grow up? Most recently in Massachusetts and then okay. before that, Nebraska. Okay. I grew up in um, Northern Illinois, Chicago suburbs. So very cool. All right. So I want to jump into uh, a couple of top shelf topics. At some point, we do want to talk about like your priorities for the legislative session, the bills you've run, and I think folks are going to be interested in that. But let's start off with some of the uh, some of the exciting stuff. First of all, legislature voted to overturn the Salt Lake County and Summit County mask mandate. Suzanne, why don't we start with you? What What are your reflections on uh, on what happened, and, and what are your thoughts? Well, we were talking about this a little before the show, but. None of us can remember a week one quite as eventful or um, contentious, (laughs) contentious might be the right word, or, you know, have our email inboxes flooded on day one with something that's pretty divisive. So um, as you mentioned, the Senate passed SJR three on the first day of the session, the house ended up passing it on Friday, the first week of the session which essentially overturned immediately the Salt Lake County mask requirement. And I am I, I pretty sure I'm the only one who voted no on that on that bill in, in this in this group. In terms of um, my vote, it, it was a combination of things. Um, I heard from a lot of constituents on both sides of this issue. I think there was a lot of engagement in the community about this issue. And I think a lot of people it it bothered them that, you know, the Salt Lake County Council had gone through the process established by a bill last year, SB 195, I think it was, to like what process you had to go through in order to enact a mask requirement. They had added additional, you know, uh, bodies that were involved with that, not just the health department, but also the county council had to also um, support it or, or not overturn it in order for a mask requirement to go into effect. And the Salt Lake County Council and the Salt Lake County Health Department went through all those steps. They took the time to hear 
from the public and consult with local public health and medical experts and also, you know, schools and, and all the other stakeholders that are really struggling with this surge of Omicron right now um, and enacted that mask requirement for 30 days. And the first week of the session, um, we, you know, suspended rules, didn't have a public hearing or public committee meeting, and then just overturned it. Um, the Tribune highlighted something that I thought was interesting that 85% of the votes to overturn that decision by Salt Lake County and Summit County councils actually came from representatives or senators outside of those counties. So, mm, you know, yeah. I, I think it just rubbed people the wrong way in terms of messing with local control, not listening to local medical experts and, and just um, an example of perhaps a power grab by the legislature. Re Representative uh, Lisenby, what do you think? Happy to weigh in. You know, that it, it was a, an incredibly divisive issue and, and I think we really struggled over it and had some good debate. Um, I will say that the, the vast majority of my constituents who many of them actually work in Salt Lake County. So this is not just an issue of, hey, I live in Salt Lake County. Salt Lake County um, is our most populous county. A lot of people go there to work, to play, to recreate, to shop. Um, and the vast majority of my constituents uh, asked me to vote to overturn the mandate. And so I was happy to do that. Um, I think that, um, there were lots of interesting conversations surrounding the way the mandate was implemented when the county council met to debate kind of whether they were going to overturn it or not. And some of the comments made then by some of the council people about, hey, I've, I've reached out to the legislature or to leaders in Utah and I don't really want to mandate this, but they're telling me the only way that we can get these masks that we have, the N95 masks, into the hands of the people of Salt Lake County is by creating a demand for them. That's a direct quote from one of the council members. And um, if you have to create a demand <laughs> for a product like that, um, that's problematic in my opinion. Um, I think for the most part, people are really done being told by government what to do with regards to this um, the pandemic, and I and I think it's just a little bit of exhaustion. Um, and I, I don't think it's a left-right issue. I think it's a, a just a lot of people from all the broad political spectrum are just tired mm -hmm. and want to move on with their lives. And um, and frankly, I think Omicron is based on the data we're seeing um, is maybe the ticket that we need to get through this pandemic and get the broad uh, immunity in the population that we've all been looking for for so long. So mm -hmm. that's, that's my take on it. I was happy to vote yes and, and glad that um, my constituents were pleased with my vote. So, so Todd, I think uh, quite a few of us were not, or a little disappointed in the, in the Salt Lake County Council vote. But the critique would be against Republicans who typically want, who call for local control and having the legislature override. So what do you say to that? Well, I, I think that's, I think it's a fair critique um, because th th this was a situation 
um, where we, we did override local control. But um, I would, as a counter to that, I would say that there's nothing different about COVID in Salt Lake or Park City than about COVID in Provo Orem or Leighton Bountiful or Ogden or Logan or St. George. Um, and so this is not you know, an issue where it's uh, entirely different in one community than another. And I'll be honest with you, Corey, I could have gone either way on this vote. And I was, a, when I first found out we were going to take this up in the Senate on the first day, I was kind of disappointed because part of me, um, I don't, I don't agree with the mask mandate. And I'll tell you why right now I don't agree with her. And I'll tell you why um, part of me just wanted to let it stay in place and let uh, uh, Jenny Wilson and other elected officials in, in, in Salt Lake County kind of be taken to task by voters for their their decision. And um, but ultimately, I decided to override it for three reasons. Number one, about a week and a half ago, almost two weeks ago, Dr. Fauci, who we know is the greatest scientist in the history of all mankind, maybe in the history of the universe. Um, Dr. Fauci said that we're all going to get Omicron. He didn't yeah. say we're all going to get Omicron unless there's a mask mandate. He said we're all going to get Omicron. And I, and I believe him. I think everyone is going to get Omicron. And remember, it's 140 times more contagious than regular um, uh, COVID and 70 times more contagious than Delta. Number two, we've known that Omicron was coming from the very beginning of December. Salt Lake County waited until there were tens of thousands of cases before they decided to reimpose a mask mandate. That makes no sense to me at all. If, if they have faith in this uh, mask and in, in these cloth masks, because I know they mentioned KN95s, but nobody can get a real one. And, and if you have a KN95, there's an 85% chance that it's fake and it's doing nothing for you. Um, but they waited until it was widespread in the community and then they imposed the mask mandate, which to me uh, makes no sense at all. But number three, I can, and I've done this, I look at the data every day. I look at Hawaii, I look at New York I, a state, I look at California, I look at all of these states with mask mandates. And guess what, Corey? Omicron, as soon as it hit, it tripled or quadrupled the number of cases within the first week, and then they continued to rise. And then after two or three weeks, and we're already seeing this in New York, they start to break. And so one of the frustrating things to me is had the mask mandate remained in place, you'd have had all of these Salt Lake County officials thumping their chest as soon as Omicron um, peaks and said, see, the mask mandate is working. And in fact, the two weeks that it was in effect, the Omicron cases went up every single day for those two weeks. Um, and now that the mask mandate has been repealed, you're still going to see Omicron crest, probably if it hasn't already, probably this week, and you're going to see cases start to decrease. And I guess now I could say it's because we don't have the mask mandate. And I, I just don't think with Omicron, a cloth mask, I, I, I believe in N95 masks. I actually believe in KN95 masks if they're real, um, but nobody, nobody can get them. And um, in, in any event, that's why I ultimately voted to overturn it. Go ahead. Well, I think it's important to recognize that, that it's, this is the purpose of local control is that what the elected officials in Salt Lake County and Summit County decided are different than what other counties decided. You know, they were responding to the issues and challenges specific to that county. And as the county with the major referral centers and the major ICU referral centers in the state, the those decisions, you know, are, are reasonable that they're different than say, you know, 
Wayne County or what have you. Um, I, as someone who's been working in our hospitals for the last two years, I can tell you that the staffing shortages are severe and real. Our schools are having a hard time being staffed. Um, they can't find substitutes. Uh, the week that the mask mandate was um, voted on or, or implemented in Salt Lake County, my school district had uh, more than 25 bus drivers call in sick just on one day. And so while the situation may be different in different counties, like that's the whole purpose of that law last year was to allow counties to decide and, and respond to the needs in those counties. And um, from this was one step that Salt Lake County Health Department and Salt Lake County Council felt would help with the surge of cases, help with the severe staffing problems to keep our healthcare system, our schools, our emergency services, and even local businesses functional. I think that the process worked the way it was supposed to. And for the legislature to come in and all of a sudden everyone's epidemiologists and you know, I infectious never claim disease to be an experts. epidemiologist. <laughs> it's just like, this is why we have these local health experts and local infectious disease experts, and we should listen to them. So anyway, I, one thing I said on my Facebook is regardless of how you feel about this, like, I hope that everyone can treat each other with respect and kindness, because that is one thing we desperately need more of in our world right now is kindness and respect. So, and, and I, you know, I, I, I'm glad that like we're able to discuss this with civility and I have enormous respect for all my colleagues in the legislature. I agree with that last for sure. Carrie-Anne? Uh, last word, Carrie-Anne. I, I also agree with that. We do need to work on, on our civility. Um, it's been interesting during the pandemic and I think there are lots of heightened feelings um, among the populace and I'm certainly hearing it from my constituents and um, just a, a certain lack of patience for what they see as, as just over, um, overreaction by government. And, and whether we agree that it's overreaction or not, I, I can understand uh, the feelings that the constituents that I've heard from are having. I, you know, I, I think there's plenty of information out there to show even prior to COVID that um, certainly cloth masks didn't have a drastic effect on, on infection rates. They do help a little bit, according to a few studies, but beyond that, to, to say, you know, we want to have these KN95 masks or N95 masks that we have in storage distributed among the populace, um, but we're not really going to enforce the mandate. There was just so many mixed messages then. I think local control only goes so far when you're a political subdivision of the state. And as a health department, you're an agency of the state. You're not even a political subdivision and you're not elected. And so while we do consult with experts and, and want to hear from them, there were 27 uh, county health department, thoughtful county health department directors that were also experts that did not move to implement a mask mandate in their counties. And, and some of those counties are similarly populated. And um, so anyway, I, I just think I'm, I'm super glad we can just all move on. 
And so that's the last word. Let's go. Can I get 30 seconds? Yeah, go. Um, go. Okay. So I didn't three get quick the last points. Um, number one, the staffing shortages that Suzanne mentioned are real and they were exacerbated by the vaccine mandate. We're actually fired and laid off hospital workers because they didn't want to get vaccinated. Number two, SB 195, uh, which passed the House last year on March 4th, which Suzanne Harrison voted for, set up the procedure for the legislature to be able to veto a county health ordinance. So we were following the law. And lastly, SJR 3, which was the veto of the mask mandate, it was run by Dan McCain and uh, Representative Candace Perucci, who are Salt Lake County legislators. So you had Salt Lake County legislators saying we want our, our constituents, you know, want us to overturn this. And so I just wanted to make those three last points. The next topic I want to talk about is the next iteration of test to stay. We put a pause on it. Todd, why don't you go first? Because this is your child. I know. Well, I was the genius who passed, uh, who ran SB 107 last year that implemented test to stay. And I'm, I'm being facetious because my goal uh, with test to stay was to keep schools open as much as possible during COVID. But with Omicron, it switched the rules on us and test to stay was being used to shut down, you know, 19 schools in Davis County would have shut down and others. So um, the legislative leadership, along with the governor, suspended it informally a week and a half ago. We suspended it formally with House Bill 113, which was sponsored by Jordan Tusher in the House. And so now um, we've basically given more flexibility. So test to stay will probably come back once Omicron is uh, over. And um, I, I, the, the criticism we got from the Democrats in the Senate, who all voted no on the final passage, was that it didn't take into account teachers and staff who get COVID. And they're right, and neither did Senate Bill 107 last year. So I invited them to run a bill on teacher and staff shortages. But I said my concern is, is we'll see in Utah what we saw in Chicago three weeks ago, and that is where the teachers shut down the schools. And I don't think the legislature is going to punt its authority to shut down schools to individual teachers to make that decision. Representative Harrison, why don't I go to you next? You know, I voted no on this bill for a couple of reasons. First off, I think it just adds layer upon layer of taking away any input and authority from local um, school districts in order to implement any sort of testing program or switch to, you know, short-term um, education at home, virtual education, it had like all sorts of people that would have to give it the blessing and including the governor, the Senate president, the speaker of the house, the state superintendent, and just all these different layers of people um, that would have the potential to override any input from the local community. And this is just another example of what I see as a tendency of the legislature to micromanage and meddle in local control where there's really not a need for that. The, the other concern I had was that there's no timeline in effect on when those different people would have to respond to a request from a, a local school district. So it could be you know, they're waiting for who knows how long to get a response. I just think we, you know, the legislature always cries foul if the federal government ever says anything to, to Utah, like, please do this. But the legislature has far too often has a tendency to micromanage and meddle in the affairs of other 
um, you know, elected officials and their roles. And I think the people closest to the people um, should have that authority to do their jobs. So Representative Lisenby, do you, do you have a response to her critique? I mean, and also, I mean, I, per, I personally am the last person who wants to see the school close. I mean, I'll pull my hair out if the school. Oh, closed. no, I agree. But I are, fully support in-person schooling, but, you know, do we but really are there too many all those people? Agreed. So are there too many layers, though? Should, should, should there be so many layers? Should it be that difficult? So I do, I do have a response. And it's interesting, you know, we do hear the argument local control and then reference to the federal government. But I just want to remind my colleagues that the states created the federal government and we are not a political subdivision of the, political, of the federal government. And I think that's an important distinction to make. And beyond that, you know, it's interesting. Um, Test to stay was working before Omicron, I think. Um, but I've heard from, from board members in Davis District, please, please, please get rid of test to stay. I've heard from teachers um, and, and certainly not all teachers. There are some teachers that, that want to keep test to stay. Uh, but I do think that we need to address the shifting nature of this pandemic. And it certainly, test to say, is, isn't working. My daughter was out of school all week last week because of um, Omicron, because there were so many positives at Syracuse High. And so the school basically just said, we're not having in-person classes, uh, which, is, which is fine. We made it through, but I hear you with the comment that you want to pull your hair out. So <laughs> he doesn't have a lot of hair left to pull out. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Can I add one thing too? I fully agree that, you know, that there weren't enough tests to be able to do tests to stay. There were some challenges with that. And yeah. I fully agree that we had to like shift and adjust with that. But I guess my concern is to suspend rules, not to have any public input or hear from those school districts that were going to be impacted by this bill it just got rammed through the first week, I think is problematic. And, and I fully agree though, that, that, you know, the pause was reasonable. Looking at what we can do is reasonable, but let's take the time to go through the process of hearing from the public, hearing from those school districts, hearing from, you know, teachers and staff that are being impacted so that we get it right. And that it's not just a knee jerk reaction with adding layer upon layer of legislative control and, you know, Senate President, Speaker of the House, Governor. I mean, that's a lot of layers to, to add to, to school districts. And, and Corey, let me just tell you, th there, were, there were failures at the state level as well. But uh, before Omicron hit America, President Biden promised eight different times that he was going to ramp up testing and never did it. And um, we all got caught flat-footed by, by this, by this uh, variant. All right, well, let's, uh, let's shift gears a little bit, and maybe uh, the two of you could share what else you're working on, what you spent the, the last summer and fall preparing and getting ready for, and the bills that you're running this, uh, this term. Representative Lisenby, let's start with you. What are you running? Wait. One or two bills. Okay, so Todd and I have actually been working on a working group, uh, JRI working group, and so there's some bills coming out of that working group and, and coming out of our interim meetings in judiciary that I think are hopefully going to get at some of the issues with um, violent fugitives and absconders uh, that we're, we're seeing these high profile cases in the news 
of individuals who are murdering other people or raping 14 year old girls walking home from school, terrible, terrible things that are happening by people who are under supervision in the state of Utah. And so there's a couple of bills we're working on on that, which I think are great. And then I'll just bring up my period products in the schools bill that's had a lot of media coverage recently. And that bill just provides, so it's a public-private partnership and some businesses in Utah are donating all of the machines to go into every bathroom in every elementary, middle, and high school um, every every girl bathroom in, in elementary, middle, and high school in Utah. And then it's a direct appropriation from the legislature that uh, that transitions to ongoing funding for period products to go in those machines in every bathroom in the state of Utah for these girls. So that they, so some of our girls who are experienced period, period poverty is what they're calling it. Um, won't have to stay home from school. They can keep going to school and have the products they need to be able to continue their attendance. Good stuff. Representative you know, Harrison. Um, can, I, can I just weigh in on that? No, uh, Todd, you quick. cannot weigh in on uh, period products. No, I, I do want to. Two things. I hope, Carrie Ann, that that includes the single-use bathrooms because because of the transgender issues, we're getting a lot more single-use bathrooms in schools and things. So yeah. I hope it's not just the girl bathrooms. Second of all, uh, real quick, I went to Cuba four years ago with Salt Lake Chamber, and we toured the Cuban version of uh, Juilliard, and they told us those girls there, they were high school age girls, they, they miss a week every month of class because there's no wow. feminine hygiene products in Cuba. Mm-hmm. And I can't, I can't even imagine that we put some of our residents, I mean, that's a third world country, basically, that we put some of our youth in that same position. So I'm really glad uh, to support that project. Sorry, sorry to interrupt. Good. No, that, that was a safe comment. I like it. You're good. <laughs> yes. And I agree with you. Well, All right, Representative will... Harrison, what, what are a couple of your top bills? Well, I look forward to supporting you, Representative Lizenby. That period product bill is really important. And it's no girl should miss school or be stressed about, you know, being at school because of, you know, any sort of um, menstrual, you know, personal hygiene issues. So thank you for running that. And thank you for leading out on that. I look forward to voting for it. Uh, A couple of the bills I'm working on have to do with improving health. Uh, I'm running a legislation to expand access to the National Diabetes Prevention Program, which is an evidence-based lifestyle change course that helps people learn, you know, healthy eating, you know, physical activity and stress management in order to reduce the risk of diabetes. One in three Utahns is pre-diabetic and and is at risk of developing diabetes. And we spend about $8,000 a year for every patient that has diabetes. 25% of healthcare dollars are spent on diabetes. And it's like a very devastating disease and impacts so many people. And this course is actually evidence-based and more effective than just giving a patient a pill in terms of reducing the risk of diabetes. And so this is part of, of a movement in healthcare to move more upstream, to move more towards prevention and early intervention to save taxpayers' dollars, but also to improve health and outcomes. So that's legislation I'm running. And the other one that I'd like to highlight is, you know, I, anyone who's been outside the last week or so has seen our air quality is 
pretty terrible right now. And Utah frequently struggles with air pollution, unhealthy air, both in the summer and the winter. People tend to know about it more in the wintertime, but we actually have elevated ozone levels um, in the summer that are also very dangerous to your health. Um, the bill I'm running would offer a tax break, a, a tax credit for people purchasing clean electric vehicles, alternative fuel vehicles that will help reduce emissions and help clean up our air. And I hope to get it passed this year. It's one of the single biggest things we can do in terms of um, helping improve our air is to you know, reduce your emissions. Another really simple thing people can do to reduce their air pollution is if you drive a car that, that requires gas, like the vast majority of people do, just choose to fill up your tank with tier three gas. It's a game changer in terms of um, reducing pollution coming out of your tailpipe. And mm. I, I put together a website where you can find out where you can buy tier three gas. It's called tier3gas.org. So check it out. It costs the same and it's a game changer for reducing pollution out of any car that uses gas. Yeah, and I really commend Representative Harrison for her work on that tier three um, issue and the website. I think that's tremendously helpful. Cool. Todd, or in, in the last uh, minute or two here, do you have any you want to name? I only have like 29 bills. I'll just tell you about each of them for a minute. No, I'm just joking. But I, uh, I have an electric bike bill that'll make it easier for cities to differentiate between electric bikes and motorcycles. I have an alimony bill that's going to not reward people who drag out the divorce for five years so they can get five years more of alimony and some other good bills, including the one that uh, Representative Lizenby mentioned. So. And congratulations once again for introducing the most bills. I, I think you were highlighted in every paper. I, I try really hard not to do that. I'm just, uh, I just couldn't say no enough this year. So I get approached a lot and uh, some of my bills are actually good ones. So we'll, we'll see if any of them pass. All right. Great stuff. That's all the time we have. Thank you so much, Representative Harrison, uh, Representative Lizenby. Thanks so much for chatting with us and uh, hope to see you again. Good luck in week Thanks, two. Corey. Thanks everyone. Thanks,